Well, I do want to add my greetings uh, to the greetings that have already been given to everybody who is watching with us online this morning. Uh, we are on the precipice of the beginning of a new year, uh, and that can be a little scary, uh, uh, thinking about what 2021 will bring. A lot of us are living in anticipation that it might be better. This morning when I got up uh, early in the morning to do my quiet time with the Lord, I also take time every day to kind of go through a Google and, and Apple News aggregate to kind of just kind of catch up on what's going on in the world. And the first news article I came to was entitled, uh, The Worst is Yet to Come. Uh, well, that will really warm your coffee, won't it? I mean, that's an exciting headline to read. The reality is, is that uh, we never know. Uh, no one expected 2020 to turn out the way that it uh, has turned out. Uh, another uh, uh, news article by The Who uh, not not the group, but the, the, the medical uh, organization was basically saying, expect more plagues in the future. Uh, well, you know, more, more good news. And so, uh, you know, the question really for us that are followers of Christ uh, is what type of life are we going to live with a future that is not going to be controlled by us personally? I mean, we, ha we can all have our hopes and dreams of what the future will bring, but the reality is, uh, if, you ha if we haven't learned by now that we have no control over what tomorrow will be like, uh, then 2020 may even bring that into a greater degree of focus for us. And so I, I was looking around for a scripture that would give us some hope and some promise uh, to people that were going through difficult times. And the scripture is filled with such promises and hope for people in difficult times because the history of humanity is, is that for most of us, our lives are filled with significant adversity and challenging challenges and, and suffering. It's just, it's just a reality. We don't want to live there. We don't want to be morbid about it. We don't want to stay in that place for long, but that's just the way that life is. And so one of the passages that I really like is, is kind of an obscure one. And if you've got your Bibles this morning, your tablet, I'd really encourage you to open it up because we kind of got to give it a little bit of context in order to understand it and make an application for us as we move forward into 2021. It's in the book of Nehemiah, and it's specifically chapter 8, verse 9 through 10. And I want to give you a little bit of background because a lot of us don't know a lot about Nehemiah, but here's kind of the story. Uh, Israel had been carried off, northern Israel in captivity, uh, somewhere 700 years before the birth of Christ uh, in, uh, to Assyria. And then later on, the southern kingdom, Judah, was carried off into captivity uh, to Babylon. And so uh, in, in the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital city, there was just a remnant of people who would have been Jewish who were left. And then other tribes from other conquered territories were brought in to Jerusalem. And so it was kind of a, it was, it was just a former uh, shell of what Jerusalem had been under like the history of King Solomon and, and, and David. It was, uh, it was basically had been burnt down. Uh, people were there to farm. People were just trying to, you know, eke out a living during that time. Uh, and most of the Jews had been carried into Babylon into captivity for 40 years. Now, Nehemiah is, we're not sure, was he an older guy who had lived through that? And so he would have had a memory 
of what things used to be like. I mean, I know a lot of people in America today who are older, we've got a memory of like an Andy Griffith type, you know, culture, at least it was in our minds, where things were simpler and there wasn't a lot of suffering and crime and uh, there was a lot of peace in the world. A lot of, a lot of kind of good memories about the past. Uh, and, and maybe Nehemiah was an older guy that had those memories, or he might have been a first generation uh, Jew who was born in Babylon. But what we do know about Nehemiah is that he was serving the king of Babylon. And uh, during that time of his service, uh, a group of people came from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah had a conversation with them. And, he, and the people kind of told Nehemiah about the state of Jerusalem. It wasn't good. Things were bad. Uh, people were really suffering. There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of uh, devastation. <coughs> Excuse me. And Nehemiah uh, was pretty upset about it. He, he, I guess the way we would say it today is he became depressed. He became sad uh, hearing about the estate of the country that he'd come from. And you got to remember, for the Jew, it wasn't just nationalism. It wasn't just my country. But in their understanding, it was God working in the world. And so God had worked through Israel, but Israel had begun to be disobedient from the Lord. And so a series of judgments had come against Israel. And now Nehemiah is kind of living through that. And evidently, he was a happy, kind of go-lucky type of guy because when he came in to serve the king, the king of Babylon... He had never seen Nehemiah so discouraged before. Uh, I was uh, at a dentist a few months ago to get some work done, and uh, they were telling me that they are having a booming business because of COVID. And I thought, well, how does a dentist, I mean, you know, maybe eating a lot of sweets, people are having cavities, but they said, no, no, people are so anxious that they're grinding their teeth at night. They're not, even, they're not even aware of their anxiety, but at night, people are coming in with pain because they're so tense in their jaws that they're literally grinding down their teeth. And I thought, boy, that, isn't that interesting that, I mean, even if we're not cognizantly aware of the fact that we're anxious, that just the circumstances that we've lived through with the political division and the conflict and all that's going on in our world as well as the COVID that you know, people are concerned about today and they're concerned about the future. And so in some sense, Nehemiah was aware of this when he was in the presence of the king and the king said, what's wrong? Uh, I've never seen you sad like this before. And Nehemiah did something which probably was exercising some liberty that you normally, you don't want to bring the king into your sadness back at this particular period of time because that wasn't a good thing. Uh, but the king, God gave him mercy on Nehemiah and he said, look, uh, if you're really bothered about what you're hearing about your home, then I'm going to give you permission to go back and just give me an assessment. I'll see, uh, since I'm the ruler of that province, if I can help, help out. And so the story, the whole book is the story of Nehemiah going back and kind of collecting together a few people, the, the remnant, as it was called in the Scripture, of people who still were there, who were trusting and believing in God, as destitute and as difficult as the circumstances were, and uh, then with the king giving him authority and resources to kind of rebuild the wall 
to kind of have a semblance of what Jerusalem used to have been and to restore some of the prosperity. And the story is, is basically uh, a story of adversity where there are different enemies that are against Nehemiah coming back and rebuilding the wall and kind of rebuilding the temple where people could come back and worship because they thought this was a sign of the Jews coming back, which ultimately it was. And, uh, and then what happens is they go through a series of calamities. Uh, we find ourselves in chapter 8 where for the first time in probably 40 years, the people of God were exposed to the Word of God. Now, you and I hear it all the time. My wife and I have had the privilege of serving in countries where people live and die, and they never hear the good news of the gospel. But you and I, repeatedly, so it's just kind of, yeah, Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins. And we've heard that story before, and we kind of take it for granted. Uh, but they had not had the privilege of hear, hearing a scroll because scrolls were expensive and they were rare. But here at this particular time, they'd come together at a setting to talk about their dilemma. And uh, the scroll or the word of God was read to the people of Israel, the remnant that was gathered. It was the first time that they'd heard it in 40 years. And the response was, we've brought all this on ourselves. And they were broken. Because they realized that all the devastation was actually the result of their behavior and their denial, their lack of faith of God, their lack of trust in God, and that it had kind of built up over a series of hundreds of years to where finally God had abandoned them to themselves, in, in essence, to their own desires. And they had been uh, defeated in, in battle and carried off. And so the people began to weep. All this is because of our own action. And so there comes a time where Nehemiah stands up in, in verse 9 of chapter 8, and these are the instructions. And I think they are perfect instructions for every one of you who is, would say, I'm a follower of Christ. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're asking, how do I live my life and my days when things are difficult. I mean, I know what it's like when things are generally good. Now, we always know that it's, it's always difficult for somebody. There's always someone who has heart disease. There's always someone who has cancer. There's always someone that's got a child who's died from some mysterious or some illness or a parent. I mean, that's just life. We know that. But we're pretty much, for most of the time, we're able to just go about living our lives as if we're pretty sure about what Tomorrow will bring, and we're in control of that. But all of a sudden, as a nation and as a people and as a church, we're having to ask the question, how are we going to live in 2021 in such a way that the world will know that God is good in the midst of suffering? That's a question you and I can answer this morning. And so this is what Nehemiah has to say, which I think is applicable to us. Nehemiah, the governor Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all them, this day is holy to the Lord, your God, do not mourn or weep. Very interesting instruction. Just a lot of things we can see in there. One of those things that I would say to us as New Testament on the New Testament would say, I would say is that every day is holy unto the Lord. Because we would say, you know, sometimes in our mindset, the Sabbath or a Sunday when we come together is holy. 
But really, we know that from a biblical perspective, from the teachings of Jesus, that every day God has given to you is God's day. It's a holy day. It's a day that's a gift from God to you. You're not promised tomorrow. And so this is essentially the same statement. This is a, this is a holy day. We've gathered it together. So he says, then he said, and go, said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet. And I like that. I've enjoyed my Christmas fudge. I mean, I love a celebration, a good celebration. I think as God's people, there is a time for weeping and mourning, but I think God has generally called us to celebration. But this is the key. This celebration is happening during hard times. And I want you to hear this. Because there is something transcendent about the Christian life that enables us Followers of Jesus to live uniquely celebrating in the midst of hard times. But he goes on, he says something that's even more instructive. Then he said to them, go and eat that which uh, uh, which is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, take care of the needy, since today is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, and then here's the last instruction that I want you to pay attention to. Because your strength comes from rejoicing in the Lord. A very interesting construct there in the original Hebrew language uh, in in the sense that it shows a a decision, a determinative decision that's made by an individual that results in an ongoing activity. And the decision is, is that in spite of your circumstances, live your life rejoicing. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, we as Americans, and I guess maybe most of the people in the world, we might respond by saying, I know what it's like to be happy when everything is going my way. I know what it's like. So I want to be happy. So preacher, please tell me in 2021 that things are going to go my way, so I'm going to be happy. Well, I could tell you that, but I'd probably be lying. And there's a lot of prophets in America today who will tell you such lies, but the reality is I know, I know not what tomorrow will bring any more than you do. In fact, what we see in the Bible is that the key to 2021 is learning to live in spite of, not because of. Now, I want you to hear that principle. The joy, the victory of the believer in Christ is living in spite of our current realities, not because of our realities. Now, we hear a lot in our country about happiness. Every once in a while on my, one of my news aggregates, uh, you know, after seven days of just bad news, they'll say, they'll have a little, you know, when you scroll down through 50 titles of bad news, they'll say, and the good news for the day. And it's like, oh, thank God, <laughs> there's good news. And, and usually some the articles, one article that was there yesterday was how to be happy. How to be happy. I want to give you a definition of happiness. Happiness is the temporary feeling we have when things go our way. And what that tells us logically is that in order for you and I to be happy, we have to be in control. We've already established this morning is that the one reality that you'll learn sooner or later is that you are not in control. You can grasp, you can hold on to, you can connive, you can manipulate, you can do whatever you want to do, but life will sooner or later teach you you are not in control. 
Now, you can either trust in a God or trust in a president or trust in the political system or trust in your 401k, but the reality is all those things are prone towards failure. What the Bible does tell us is, is that you and I can choose joy, though. Now, joy is very distinct from happiness. In fact, it's, it's a little bit difficult to define, but I want to give you a definition. And this is the goal for 2021. If you're kind of a goal-setting individual, what I'm challenging you to do this morning is because of who God is and what God is doing and what God is capable of doing in your life is to make a choice to choose joy in, no matter or regardless of what happens in the coming year. Joy as opposed to happiness, is internal. Joy is not dependent on external circumstances. It is satisfaction, it is confidence, and it is an internal peace that abounds and is consistent and constant. That's the difference between temporary passing happiness and the gift of joy that God gives to his children. I kind of want to. I want to give you five keys to embracing or choosing joy in 2021, regardless again of whatever circumstances. We can hope that COVID's going to go away. They tell us that it's not going to go away quick. That we're going to have to continue to modify our lifestyle. We can continue to live in our discouragement. We can continue to live in our anxieties and our fears. Or we can, as God's children, to choose the joy that is the birthright. Now, when I say it's the birthright of the follower of Christ, it's like a gift. Let me give you three characteristics of a gift very quickly. Number one is a gift can be received and it can be open. It can be ignored or it can be rejected. And so in this way, just because you're a follower of Christ, it does not mean you'll experience God's abounding, consistent joy in your life during your days in 2021 because it is a gift to be opened and received. And that's why Nehemiah was saying to the people of his generation who were living in times that were so dark that you and I probably aren't even able to conceive them, but he was saying, you make the choice to live your life rejoicing because that rejoicing in God becomes your strength. And if there's anything our culture needs right now, it is light and darkness. If there's anything America needs to see right now, it's not our political judgments, it's not our opinions on this social issue or that social issue. It is they need to see that in the midst of suffering and difficulty, that there's joy to be had, and that is the birthright of the believer in Christ. But again, it's like a gift. So here are the five keys. Very quickly, we could spend five Sundays, but I know they're not going to give me five Sundays. They've given me about 10, 15 more minutes to go through these five, and we're just we're not going to lay it down a deep foundation, but if you write them down and, and you do your own research, what you'll find is, is that these five keys are the reality to living life with the joy of the Lord being our strength. Number one is this. Do not be surprised by suffering or adversity. It's amazing. It's amazing to me how many people in the church are surprised by suffering and adversity. Now, the world is always, it's kind of like, it's, it's our right to be happy. Well, where do they find that? Where is it anywhere given in history that it's my right to be happy? 
Happiness is the proverbial, you know, grasping of sand. The, the more you squeeze the sand, the quicker it, you know, slips between your fingers. That's the way happiness is. Scripture tells us that in this fallen world, we'll always have adversity. One of the oldest historical books written in the Old Testament is the book of Job, and it is a book of suffering. And the reality is, is the Bible just tells us that it's part of our lot in life. Sooner or later, there's a verse in Job chapter 5, verse 7, that just really sums it up. But mankind is born for trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. I love that illustration. It's, it's kind of like one time I saw a car, it was driving by, and its tire came off. And it, you know, the tire came off and it went down on its, on its axle and it looked like a fireworks on the 4th of July, the sparks. Uh, the picture was, you know, the picture was one of, of metal, metal hitting pavement and, and what happened was the friction caused the sparks. Well, Job had seen this with a flint and rock or metal or something along that line and he was basically saying, look, that's life. You know, we've got to get over the reality that this is not heaven. Heaven is yet to come. Earth will not be paradise until Christ returns. And so until that time, we've got to understand that suffering and adversity is not the absence of God's peace. It is not the absence of God's power. It is not the absence of God's love in your life. That is not what adversity signifies. It is just life. It is life where humanity has rebelled against the authority and the love of God and basically said, we're going to do it our way. So the first key is to understand that when we suffer, when we face difficult times, that there are more plagues, that there are more jobs that are going to be lost, that is just what it's like. That is life without God. That is life uh, it living on a planet that lives in rebellion against God. Number two is the assurance of the sovereignty of God. One of the keys to joy in the midst of difficult times is the assurance that God knows and God is in control. You know, as I've grown older, uh, I've got a pillow and I can't sleep without that pillow. <laughs> now, you may think that's strange, but... Uh, when I travel, and my job has up until this year required for me to travel a lot, uh, I have a hard time sleeping at night because I don't have, it's like my teddy bear. I don't know. It's just a shape of a certain type of pillow that really allows me to sleep. The sovereignty of God is such that when I read today's headline, headlines, I can still lay down to sleep because I know my God is in control. There's, there's some characteristics. You know, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, now things weren't better by the time Jesus came along. I mean, Israel was under the rule of Rome. Rome was notoriously oppressive and brutal. All the rights you and I think are so important to us. These people would have had none of those rights living under the government there in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. But Jesus had many wonderful promises to the saints. And one of the things that he said to the disciples who would live through this regime of crazy leaders like Nero, who, you know, I mean, if you want to look at crazy uh, political leadership, look at some of the emperors of Rome. They were madmen. 
And what he said to his disciples is, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said, let your confidence be in your Father who cares. Let your confidence be in me who has come to earth to demonstrate the Father's love for you. It's not the sovereignty of God is not you and I understanding what's going on. There's an old song, we'll understand in the by and by. In other words, there's a lot of unanswered questions on planet earth, are there not? If, you, if you're living your life thinking you're going to get answers to all the what ifs, the questions of life, the reality is you're going to die without those questions having ever been answered. They may be answered by God when you stand in his presence, but they're not going to be answered now. So it's not just coming to a place where we understand why God is allowing to happen what's happening in my life or in the world. It is certainly not a feeling. Joy isn't just this temporary feeling and the assurance of God, the sovereignty of God isn't just always an emotional saying, you know, I just feel so good about where I'm at in my life and about what God is doing. There are times where we do not understand why God is doing what he's doing and feelings don't follow that. Reality is, is that believing in the sovereignty of God is, the, is having faith in his character. It is having faith that what he has revealed to himself, about himself in his word, or revealed to us in his word, is true. Even when I don't understand it and I can't feel it. So if you and I are going to live our lives in 2021 with joy, it, one of the reasons, one of the banners, one of the keys we're going to live under is we trust in God. We have faith in God that our God is sovereign. Even when my world seemingly is falling apart, things are not in reality falling apart because the Father is in control and he has control over me. Number two or number three in regards to having joy is being content with what I have. Another way to say that is having an attitude of gratitude in life. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but with godliness, uh, with contentment is great gain. Uh, we, we live in a culture where we're constantly driven to have something we don't have. I mean, that's commercialism, is it not? I mean, much of America media is created to make you desire to have something. And you've already got that in yourself. That's called sin, greed. But it's, it is, it is, it's kind of, you know, our culture is really funny because it creates in you a desire to have more and then makes you feel guilty if you do have more. <laughs> so they, they want you to want more and more and more and more. Uh, we, have a, we were out walking. And uh, there's a particularly nice home in our neighborhood. And uh, there was a family uh, walking on the other side of the street that I could tell from their accent. They weren't from around these parts. And they were walking by this very nice house. And uh, one of the family members said, well, are they not living the life? And uh, then somebody else kind of dismissively said, well, I wish I could live the life. Now, isn't that hilarious? I mean, we, we live in a culture that stirs up desires to have things we don't have. And then when Rodney gets those things and I don't have it, I'm mad at Rodney. I mean, it's, it, it's really kind of a mental illness. 
When we live our lives in comparing ourselves to others, we condemn our days to an insatiable desire for that which ultimately can never satisfy. When we grew up, or when we were young, we were in, living in South America, way South America, America Patagonia. And the reason that at Patagonia, the, you know, the clothing company, they sell jackets and stuff, because it's always cold. For nine months of the year, it was cold. And uh, so, and there's no heat. And the only way we could heat our home was with wood. So you had to cut the wood, chop the wood, and then all day long bring wood in. And, uh, you know, we just burnt the wood up. And the first house we lived in had no hot running water either. And so, you know, as Americans, we moved out of our culture and moved into a place where, I mean, it was almost impossible to stay warm. And then, you know, then you know, there's no hot water in a lot of places and there's no commercial establishments. Uh, that, so I've, I've never gotten past the point of getting up in the mornings and now we have Central Eat and, and thanking God for the heat we have. And this morning, like every morning when it's cold, when I get in to take a hot shower, I always have a time of rejoicing because I know what it's like to not live in a place that has hot water available. I mean, we become, we become consumed as Americans with having more than what we have, but there is great joy in living your life with gratitude and contentment for everything that God has given us. Well, number, number four, the fourth key is practicing his presence. Now, this is, something, this is something to me that is the line of demarcation between many people in the church who uh, claim to be followers of Christ and in reality, at a later point, they turn away or they live their lives with kind of religious trappings, but they never seem to have the joy of the Lord. Is that The reality is, is that being a follower of Christ is not men, simple mental assent to the reality of the existence of God. It is being in a relationship with God. My wife and I have been married uh, 43 years. I think I've got that right. If I don't, when I get home, she'll remind me. Uh, we dated for three years before that. And uh, we uh, have a great relationship. The relationship is based on communication, and the relationship is built on presence, uh, not gift presence, but her presence and my presence uh, occupying the same home. And so it's, it's, you know, it's not like she sends me data facts every day about her. For a lot of people who claim Christianity, they have data facts about God. They can quote data facts. But data facts are not, is not a relationship. Heather knows my heart. She knows my dreams because I tell her my hopes and my dreams. And I know her mind and her heart because we walk together in life. And when we walk in the evenings, we hold hands sometimes. We have long discussions. We study scripture together in the mornings. Our, our, our joy, our joy, I want you to hear this. My joy in my wife is our relationship. I, I believe all the things about God are true. I didn't used to, but I do now. But that is not where my joy comes from. My joy comes from his presence in my life. The key to 2021, were, for those of you that are followers of Christ, may learn, be the whole lifelong process of what it means to practice his presence. 
the great Old Testament psalm says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. That's Psalm 1611. So the key to 2021 is this imitation God gives us to a relationship. That relationship cannot be maintained Sunday by Sunday. That's not a relationship. Coming to church, which we've been prohibited for doing in any meaningful way for a long time, is not going to maintain your joy. You've got to maintain by being in His Word, having communication with God, walking with Him, sharing your heart with Him, listening to His voice in order to experience the joy of God. And then the last thing I want to say this morning is one that you may think is strange. It is obedience. Now, there's nothing worse to tell an American than obey. I, I, I was one of those rebellious kids where invariably if my parents said obey, I was going to do everything I could do not to do it. And my wife was the other kind of kid. She was going to do every kind, everything she could in order to obey her parents. I said, we've learned that's kind of a personality type. Uh, she doesn't have a problem with obedience. I have a problem with obedience because I see obedience is heavy. It's a heavy imposition of someone else's will on me that I'm not particularly attracted to. But brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are listening to me and even those who are not believers, obedience to the gospel is the opposite of that. Obedience to the gospel is taking up something light in order that you and I might enjoy his presence and his goodness and that we might go in our days through our days rejoicing. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have been kept by my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then Jesus just does a little expounding on that in verse 11. And I want you to hear that before I turn to the Old Testament. I have spoken these things to you that, so that my joy may be in your joy and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. So this is it. What Jesus is saying is, is the beginning of all the commands in obedience to God. He says, look, love one another. And that's talking about Christians, not talking, not gossiping, not backbiting, not condemning one another. Let's start with the household of God and you love one another in the same way that I've loved you. But we know that, I'm taking that scripture out of context. The rest of the context is Jesus would say, love God. Love God with all of your heart. Don't allow God just to be some abstract intellectual construct in your life. Love God. Experience God. The psalmist would say, oh, taste and see that he is good. Experience God. Love him. Love the church. Love your brethren. But we also know Jesus said, Jesus said, he didn't stop it with that, did he? He said, love your neighbor. You know, I, I've, I've worried about the church. I don't know about you, but where I live, there are people in my community who do not believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the way I live my life, in the way I love my neighbors, uh, is the power of the gospel. 
But not only that, Jesus went on to say, not only are you to love your neighbors that are lovable, but he said, love your enemies. Now there's the challenge. And I don't know about you, but I've got so-called enemies in my life, not so much personal, but people maybe that have done me wrong, people that I have hard feelings against. And Jesus has given me the challenge that the command is obedience to love those that do not love me because Jesus knows that ultimately I find my freedom and my joy in obedience. So what does it mean to obey the Lord? I want to close with this before we just give you a few takeaways. Obedience is no burden. It is living life doing the right thing because of the joy that God has given us. Obedience for the Christian is not some external law that we are forced to comply with. It is the transformative power of Jesus Christ living in us, enabling us to do that which glorifies Him. I want you to hear this. I do a lot of things. I try to do a lot of things for my wife. She's, you know, she, she's one, you know, if you ever heard of the five love languages, she likes them all. <laughs> and so she's got a little warmy corn bag. And, and so, you know, just little things like this morning before I left, I, I put her warmy in the microwave. You know, I get up in the morning and I make coffee. I try to do things for her because, you know, that's her love language. And I think the same, same thing is true in our love relationship with God. We learn to live that obedience is not because we have to do it. My wife doesn't say, if you don't warm up my warmie in the morning, you won't get dinner tonight. You know what? If she did, I'd probably warm up her warmie because I like to eat. But that's not why I do it. I do it because I love her. And the same thing is true. The obedience to Christ is not something that is a burden. It is a joy. And it, it's kind of a circular thing where the more we obey, the more joy we experience in our life. And I think about this in our culture, and we're, we're wondering now, what does it mean for us as followers of Christ to apply this in our culture? And we can go back to that uh, Old Testament book in the book of Isaiah, uh, where the, the Israelites were saying before, they were before the book of Nehemiah, before they were carried off, what is it that God expects us to do? So what is it that God expects us to do in 2021? It's the same answer that God gave the people of Israel and Isaiah because they thought it was sacrifices and all types of laws and burdens that they couldn't obey. This is what he had to say in the, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 6 through 8. Isn't the fast I choose, not the fast you choose, but isn't the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn. Your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your real guard. Obedience simply means doing the right thing in the right way so that the world that we live in might have hope, that they might question, why have you found joy in the midst of the difficult days? See, brothers and sisters in Christ, 2021 really is not our choice in regards to the external factors 
that will buff us, buffet us. But the reality is we do have a choice and a decision to make. And that is the same decision that the people of Jerusalem had to make almost 2,500 years ago. Rejoicing in the Lord will be our source of joy and strength. Just two takeaways that I have this morning. Number one is, I've already mentioned it, that God's joy is a birthright, but it's like a gift. Gifts can be received. Gifts can be ignored. Gifts can be rejected. The way you live this year will be a choice that you personally make in your relationship and your walk with God. The second takeaway is an interesting one that I ran across in a testimony, not a testimony, but a story on YouTube of a man who was given one year to live with cancer. And he quoted this. He said as he was walking to his workplace in downtown London, somebody had written this in chalk. You only live twice. The first time begins when you realize you only live once. Let me read that to you again. You only live twice. The first time begins when you realize you only live once. We cannot control what this year will bring. But you and I can make the choice to choose joy. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and your love that in the midst of challenging times, you are the God who is Emmanuel. You're not distant. You're not far. You're not arbitrary. You're not capricious. You sent your son, Jesus. He demonstrated the character of the Father and his love and his compassion and his mercy. And he's now empowered us as his children to live for your glory in such a way that our families and our loved ones and our neighbors can see and experience and taste your goodness. Father, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. Father, empower us, strengthen us to choose to live today. Tomorrow we'll have enough challenges and troubles so, Father, today we choose to rejoice in you. For your goodness is evident and your mercy is everlasting and your grace is sufficient. So, Father, we look to you. And out of that rejoicing, looking at you, focusing on you, not at the world that we live in, not in our own circumstances, Father, we have found that that rejoicing leads to strength strength leads to internal peace and joy. So Father, help us live this year centered, anchored and rooted in the God who gives joy to those who trust and follow Him. And Father, it should be for Your glory because of Your love. When we were yet sinners, wandering from You, rebellious against you. You sought us. You pursued us. You went to the cross and you interceded for us that we might walk in a love relationship with the Father who cares so deeply for us. 
Father, that results in singing in our hearts. It gives us joy in our minds. It gives us hope for tomorrow. Father, let us live in such a way that the world sees that joy and that hope. In Christ's name we pray, amen.